Welcome to Spiritual Gold, the teaching ministry of Dr. Richard L. Strauss. I'm Dr. Mark Strauss, and these podcasts represent the faithful exposition of God's Word by my father through his 21-year ministry at Emmanuel Faith Community Church. Our prayer is that through these messages, you would be encouraged and equipped in your walk with the Lord. We live in a world of contrasts. There's so many kinds of contrasts, but one interesting contrast is that between the conformists and the nonconformists. We have people who are very creative by nature, who are independent-minded, they're free thinkers, they don't like to be roped in or put in a mold or put in a box. They want to reach out and go their own direction and break with tradition and do something new and different. These are the people oftentimes that make new discoveries and set new trends. They're the nonconformists. They don't necessarily try to be like anybody. They are themselves. And we appreciate them for what they are and who they are. But the world is also filled with conformists. And I've observed that even many of the nonconformists have a great deal of conformity. Sometimes we find little subcultures of nonconformists, but you look at them and they all look alike and think alike and act alike, and there's a great deal of conformity even among the nonconformists. And most of us have a little bit of conformity in us. We want to drive cars like other people drive and live in homes like other people live in and wear clothes like other people wear, and that's particularly important to young people. You know, you have to have a certain kind of shirt and it has to have a certain kind of initials on it. If you don't wear wear it, you're not in style, if you wear one that was sold last year and, and you know, you're out of it, and you just don't know what's going on, your socks have to be a certain color and a certain length and you know, all that kind of thing. We're conformists. You know, the Bible has a great deal to say about conformity and nonconformity. For instance, in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, it says, be not conformed to this world. God doesn't want us to be like the world, to be pushed into the world's mold, as Philip said in his famous translation of that verse. We're not to adopt the habit patterns and the values of the world, the philosophies of the world. We're not to let the world mold us. Be not conformed to this world. So we're to be nonconformists as believers. But we're also to be conformists. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1, it says, Be ye therefore followers of God. As dear children. That word follower means to be an imitator. Paul says copy God. Be like God. And the word conformity basically means to be like. Be similar. To be identical. The dictionary definition of the word. So in Ephesians chapter 4 and 5, Paul is telling us that we are to be conformists as well. Now you can be... A, a nonconformist is a believer. You can be an independent person and the kind of person that kind of thinks for yourself. That's okay. But God also wants you to conform to his image, to be like him. And that's what the next passage of Scripture in Ephesians is all about. We studied in verses 1 to 16 of chapter 4, the conduct of unity or concord. Supposed to get along with each other in love and peace in the body of Christ. And Paul told us how to do that in the first 16 verses. We're studying the believer's conduct from chapters 4 to 6, and it's a conduct of concord. When we get to verse 17 and go through chapter 5 and verse 14, we learn that the believer's conduct is to be a conduct of conformity to the will of God, to the image of God. 
We're to be like God. And we can see this broken down. In chapter 4, verses 17 and 19, we see the, the unbelievers who disregard conformity to God. It doesn't mean a thing to them. They do what they please. In verses 20 to 24, we find the doctrine that forms the basis for all conformity to the image of God. And when we get to chapter 4, verse 25, through chapter 5 and verse 14, Paul gives us a description of what it means to live in conformity to the will of God. It's a great passage of scripture. I'm going to spend a few weeks on that. But tonight we want to talk about these Gentiles who disregard God's will. And then we want to see the doctrine that forms the basis for conformity to the will of God. The disregard for conformity, verses 17 to 19, and the doctrine of conformity in verses 20 to 24. Let's begin. Ephesians 4, 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind. The idea begins with the word therefore. This I say, therefore. You know as well as I know that when that word is there, it usually sums up what we've already learned and applies it to some new area of our lives. We've been studying unity in the body of Christ. And there's a very interesting parallel between conformity and concord. As a matter of fact, unity is really the basis for conforming to the image of God. It seems as though when believers are getting along with one another and working together in love and harmony and peace and in the bond of peace, that it provides the kind of an atmosphere that we need in order to grow in our understanding of God's will and in our conformity to the image of God. And so that's why Paul says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you walk not, he begins, negatively, just like Romans 12, too. Be not conformed to this world. We're going to learn, first of all, what we're not supposed to be conformed to before we learn what we are supposed to be conformed to. Walk not as other Gentiles. Other Gentiles. That is, Gentiles who don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior from sin. It's an interesting study, this word walk in the latter half of Ephesians. If you need to give a devotional someplace this week, you might try this one out for size. In Ephesians 4.1, we're to walk worthy of the calling with which we are called. In Ephesians 4.17, we're to walk not as unbelievers walk. In Ephesians 5.1, we're to walk in love as Christ also loved us. In Ephesians 5.8, we're to walk as children of light. And in Ephesians 5.15, we're to walk circumspectly or carefully, not as fools but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. So there are five suggestions for the believer's walk. I'm not going to preach on that. You take that one and develop that for yourself, all right? But make a great devotional for you this week if you have to teach some class or give some devotional. But let's look at what Paul says negatively. Don't walk as the Gentiles walk. How do they walk? Well, there are two basic descriptions of them here. In verses 17 and 18, they walk with clouded minds. And in verse 19, they walk with calloused hearts. Clouded minds and calloused hearts. There's a lot said about the mind here in verse 18. Having the understanding darkened through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their hearts or minds. 
They think differently. Verses 17 and 18. And because they think differently, they act differently. Verse 19. Different from unbelievers. I mean, different from Christians. Unbelievers. They have their understanding. Well, first of all, they walk in the vanity of their mind. Verse 17. Don't want to forget that. They think they have it all together. They got it all figured out. But God says it's empty. It's nothing. It's foolish. Because it leaves him out, you see. It's a spiritual vacuity. It's just emptiness. They think they have knowledge, but they do not have the knowledge of God who makes sense to everything else and brings meaning to life. And consequently, they really have nothing. They seem to be satisfied with what they have. The reason they're satisfied is because they really don't know any better. And I'm afraid that in, uh, in some cases, they don't want to know any better. They find satisfaction in something because they blind themselves to the, to the inconsistencies and loopholes in their philosophies of life. Even the scientists of our day overlook great gaps in their thinking and they don't seem to be concerned about it at all. You know, you tell them that God created the heaven and the earth and they get all concerned about that and they want to tell you all the inconsistencies in that point of view. But they got more consistencies in their point of view than we have in ours. Ours really answers all the inconsistencies. We've got a God who's responsible for everything. That answers every problem. But they don't understand that. Their minds are empty of spiritual truth. They walk in the vanity or emptiness of their minds. Having their understanding darkened. Reminds me of what the Apostle Paul said back in Romans chapter 1 and verse 21. He said, because when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. They exclude God from their thinking. They think it's very intellectual to exclude God from their thinking. They think we believers are weak-minded people who use our faith as a crutch. And they think that's very smart to talk about that. But God says their understanding is darkened. They live in the dark. They walk around with no meaning and purpose to life. They don't really know where they're going or why. And that's kind of foolish. You know, a man's a fool if he walks in the dark and tries to tell himself he has the light. And that's what some unbelievers are doing. We have the light of God. It's a great deal about light. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 8, we were once darkness, but now are we light in the Lord. We have light, and therefore we are light. We reflect the very light of Christ. Over in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13, we've been de delivered from the power of darkness and have been translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son. Moved from darkness to light. Peter had something to say about light as well. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, he says, We're to show forth the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. The believer has light. The unbeliever walks in darkness. And the reason he walks in darkness is because, verse 18, he's alienated from the life of God. Alienated from God's life. You see, God's life is the source of light. It says that in John 1, verse 4, In him was life. And the life was the light of men. God's life provides light. And he who has the Son has both life 
and light. And the reason some people don't have the sun is because of the ignorance that is in them, God says, because of the blindness or hardness of their hearts. And that seems to be a willful thing. He's talking about people who have heard the truth and turned their backs on. Seems to be a willful ignorance. It seems that they have willfully hardened their hearts and steeled themselves against the message of God. They have clouded minds. But that term hardness of heart in verse 18 causes Paul to think about that a little bit and he amplifies it some in verse 19. He says, who being past feeling, hard hearts, past feeling, have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Now here's the second characteristic of the unbeliever. He has a clouded mind. He has a calloused heart. And because he has a calloused heart, he works uncleanness. He does evil deeds. Because he doesn't think properly, he doesn't act properly, you see. Who being past feeling, the idea of those words is that he's calloused. He doesn't feel pain. He doesn't feel the pain of sin. You ever put a pin in a callus on your body? Unless you really poke real hard and go through the callus, you don't feel it. Because the skin is dead, you see. Because it's dead, it's hardened and calloused and, and, and insensitive to feeling. And that's the way the heart of the unbeliever is. He is past feeling. His heart is callous. His conscience is seared and hardened against sin. He's so conditioned to sin that he doesn't feel its pain anymore. He can sin freely and the guilt of it just doesn't seem to move him any longer. Maybe you know about that better than I do. You know, I, I live in an ivory power for all practical purposes but some of you work among some very ungodly people and some of you have shared with me some of the things that you have to put up with people who seem can't seem to think a clean thought every other word that comes out of their mouth is an obscenity every other sentence they speak has uh, some double meaning to it or is openly impure lewd dirty unclean filthy their minds are filled with the rot of this world and it comes out of their mouths. That's the kind of person Paul's talking about. Who being past feeling have given themselves over to sensuality and debauchery and to sin. They've simply sold out their souls to sin. That's all they know. They live it consistently, continually sold out to Satan, to work all uncleanness with greediness. All uncleanness with greediness. They can't get enough. They're greedy to commit acts of uncleanness. They're, they're assured, they're, they assure themselves that, that their uncleanness is going to bring some satisfaction. So they want more and more and more, but the more they get, the less it's satisfied. They work all uncleanness with greediness, and it still meets no need in their lives. Now, I realize every unbeliever doesn't fit that category. There are many fine folks who don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, at least from all outward appearance, they're fine. They don't speak obscenities or blasphemies or profanities. 
They seem to have an interest in doing what's good and living as good neighbors with moral standards, ethical standards. But something in this passage is true of every unbeliever, every single one. If a person does not know Jesus Christ as his personal Savior from sin, his understanding is darkened, and he's alienated from the life of God. And we have an obligation to tell him kindly and lovingly that he's walking in the dark. He needs the light of life. He's living in, in disregard for conformity to God. A true believer isn't going to walk this way. His mind has been enlightened with God's word. His body belongs to Jesus Christ. He ought to be different. Paul says, don't walk like those Gentiles who don't know Jesus. Don't walk like them with clouded minds and calloused hearts. Now that's the disregard for this conformity to God's image. Let's look at verses 20 to 24 where Paul discusses the basis by which we can be brought into conformity to the will of God and to the image of God. The doctrine of conformity. He begins by saying, but, but you have not so learned Christ. He's talking about our instruction in Christ. You haven't learned Christ. The unsaved person is a nonconformist to spiritual things. But you haven't come to know Christ like that. You're different. You know the Lord Jesus. Notice he doesn't say you have not so learned about Christ. He says you have not so learned Christ. He's talking about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Not just knowing about him, but knowing him. You can know about great people of the past. You can know about George Washington and Abraham Lincoln. But you can't know them because they're dead and they're gone. But you can know Jesus Christ because he is alive. And you can be brought into a personal relationship with him. And when you come to know him, he's got some things to teach you. Verse 21, if so be that you've heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. If you're in Christ, and every true believer is in Christ, that's really the great theme of the whole book of Ephesians. We've been blessed with all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. He's the sphere in which we live. We don't any longer belong to the sphere of the world. We belong to the sphere of Jesus Christ. In his realm, we walk with him. He's our support system. He's our space suit and our space capsule. We live in a world, but we live and walk in Jesus Christ. In union with him. That's what it means to be in Christ. And in Christ, there's some lessons to be learned. Here's our instruction in Christ. If so be that you have heard him, and have been taught in him, not by him, as the King James says, but literally in him, as the truth is in Jesus that's where truth is to be found, in Jesus Christ. Those of us who have trusted Christ as Savior have been brought into relationship with Him, brought into union with Him by the baptizing work of the Spirit of God. And we are in Christ, and that's where we can learn. Because truth is to be found in Christ. All spiritual truth is there. Paul is saying, hey, we know better. 
We don't need to walk as those unbelievers walk because we have the truth in Jesus Christ. And here's the truth we have, verses 22 to 24. It is the truth of our identification with Jesus Christ. In verses 20 and 21, we learn that we've been instructed in Christ. Here's the content of our instruction. Here's some basic theology that we need to know to live the Christian life and be conformed to the image of God. It's theology we talk about a great deal, but we don't talk about it nearly enough because it's probably the most important facts in the Scripture relating to the believer who wants to live a Spirit-filled life and please God. It's the truth of our identification with Jesus Christ. Paul says in verse 22 that you put off concerning the former manner of life the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. And you are being renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you did put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Now I have to say to you, most Bible commentators take this as an exhortation. You need to put off the old self and put on the new self. Most translations render it that way, and most commentaries explain it that way. But it doesn't need to be interpreted that way. The grammar of the text make it possible to interpret it as something that has already happened to us. There are three things here. Verse 22, put off. Verse 24, put on. Verse 23, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Now, verse 23 is a continuing action. It's something that keeps going on. But verse 22 and verse 24 are things that happen at one point in time. And they happen when we trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. It was then our old man was rendered powerless, put up as far as his control over us is concerned. And the new self was put on. Paul teaches us about this truth. Let's just look at it for a moment. In Romans chapter 6, Paul wrote Ephesians 2, but I think probably the, uh, the heart of this doctrine is found in Romans 6, verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified. It's something that has happened. It literally says, was crucified with Christ that the body of sin might be destroyed or better rendered ineffective or rendered inoperative, that henceforth we should not serve sin, meaning our sin nature. It's something that has happened. When Jesus Christ died on that cross, we shared in the benefits of his death. Not only to pay the penalty and, and eternal guilt of our sin, but to provide for us victory over our sin nature. That sin nature was robbed of its authority and its power over us. And it happened at the cross. That old self was crucified with Jesus Christ. That's our identification with him in his death, burial, and resurrection. Turn over to Colossians chapter 3 and verse 9 where we see the very same thing. It's something that has happened. Colossians 3, 9. Lie not one to another, seeing ye have, you have put off the old man with his deeds. You see, it's something that has happened. And you have put on the new man, 
that is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Because that's a fact, that is an accomplished truth in our lives. Verse 8, now you also put off anger and wrath and malice and blasphemy and filthy communication out of your mouth. Because this has happened, you need to live in the light of it. Or as Paul puts it in Romans 6, reckon, count on yourself to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God. Because it's already done. We have the apparatus we need to live a new life. Now look at those three verses. 22, put off. You did put off concerning the former manner of life, the old self. That self with which you were born, that nature you had when you came into the world. Until you came to know Christ, it was the only nature you had. You had to obey it. It had its strengths. It had its weaknesses. But basically, it led us down the path of sin. But it's been rendered inoperative. It's been stripped of its power over us. We don't need to obey it any longer. It's been put off. It's a corrupt nature. And it's patterned after deceitful lusts, Paul said. The lusts of deceit. There they are again. Those desires that we think are going to bring fulfillment to our lives, but they really don't. And the more we try to fulfill those desires the more we realize they're really deceitful desires because they don't bring us any, any great satisfaction. But we're through with that. But we can be through with it because that old man has been stripped of his authority, that old self. And now by we can continually renew the spirit of our minds. We all know how, that's, that, how that works. We renew our minds through the Word. It's God's Word that that cleanses us and sets us apart to be used of God. Jesus prayed, sanctify them through thy truth, for thy word is truth. And the Spirit of God applying the word of truth can bring new attitudes to our lives and remold and renew our way of thinking so that we learn how to reckon ourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God. And that's what verse 24 says. You put on that new self. You've got a new nature, folks. Believers have a new self which is created after God, patterned after God's nature, made to be like God. Now, I realize that you may not understand that fully. And your husband or your wife probably doesn't see that new self very often. Or your kids don't see it, or your parents don't see it. But if you know Jesus Christ, you have a new self that God says is created according to His pattern, made after His image. Right there in verse 24, it is after God. Those words after God are the words I'm talking about. They mean created according to God in righteousness and true holiness. You have a new self that is made in righteousness and true holiness, patterned after the very nature of God. That's a fantastic truth. You have that as a believer. It's yours in Jesus Christ. God says, now I want you to use it. I want you to yield to it. You can do that. 
Paul tells us that back in Romans chapter 6. It's our choice, he says. He says in verse 16, Know you not that to whom you yield yourselves, servants to obey, his servants you are, whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness? You can obey that old self if you want and sin, but you don't need to any longer. God's given you a new nature. You can yield to it and enjoy victory. But the choice is yours to make. Now, as these verses progress, Paul's going to explain what conformity to the person of God really involves. He's going to talk about some nitty-gritty things to get right down to where we live. I mean, things that affect us every minute of every day. They hurt. And we're going to react in one of two ways when we hear them proclaimed and expounded. We're going to say, hey, I don't want any part of that. That's too tough. I can't do that. I don't want to. Never. And furthermore, I don't have any interest in being, bringing my life into conformity to God's image. Some believers, or at least professing believers, may react that way. Or they may say, this is the kind of life I want. This is the way I want to live. I want my life to reflect the very image of God. I want to be conformed to Him. The choice is going to be ours to make. Let's pray. Father, we ask you that through this opening and introductory passage of, this, of these great truths about our daily lives, we may be challenged to open our hearts to you and to what you want to accomplish in us, and then as a result of that through us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message by Dr. Richard L. Strauss. Copyright 2021. Spiritual Gold, Inc. All rights reserved. For more on this ministry and for additional resources, be sure to visit spiritualgold.org.